Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say, welcome. All right. So, TJK, you're up. Let's have a review of Romans chapter 9. So yours. Um, so, so what I got from Romans 9, and um, basically I was talking about God's um, choice to do what he does. And um, it's not like, there are a lot of things that, that happened in the Bible that mm-hmm. we'll see as, ah, this is unjust, unfair, um, but it's God's decision and who are we um, to question God. We also talked about the lineage of Israel and how um, it's not everyone in that whole lineage that's still part of Israel. And it doesn't mean that people that are not there are not from Israel. So I'm going to say Abraham's children, you know, it's um, the people of Israel. And it's not just by blood or whatever, but being part of that body of Christ, you're already included there. So that's- Thank you. Thank you, TJK. Good job. Good job. I didn't want anything to elaborate, so you did a good job. Thank you so much. Mo, over to you. Good evening, everybody. Hi. What's the experience in month 10? Okay, so what I got from month 10 was, um, I think it was Paul that was right, teacher, that Paul said that his heart's desire is for that the people might be saved. But then he now spoke about a group of people who... They, they have a zeal for God. They want to know God, but they don't really understand him. They don't understand how he's righteous. They go about establishing their own righteousness, which means, like, I believe, which means they're, like, taking on, they're trying to serve God by their own way, like, using their own form of righteousness. Meanwhile, God, Christ already died for that. So that's how I understood Romans 10 as. So he was trying to preach to them to bring them into understanding that of God's righteousness. And he also taught, of, taught people how to be saved. Beautiful. Yeah, so that's yeah, thank you. I was looking out for that. That was a good one. All right. I think Ayo wants to take chapter 11. You guys are you guys are impressing me. I'm just feeling so good right now. Ayo, over to you. All right. So Romans 11, going from chapter 10, where he explained that um, the Jews had rejected the gospel. Um, so Paul went into chapter 11 saying that um, has God, that God had not, has not rejected the Jews, but... Um, you know, there is a remnant of um, the Jews where they have accepted um, the gospel of Christ, but there are some people that have rejected the gospel. So God has like, kind of like he kind of said in chapter one, not where he said God has given them to a reprobate mind, but God has kind of like um, veiled their eyes. And that has given the Gentiles opportunity to be grafted in to the body of Christ. Um, So he just gave like a warning slash admonition for the Gentiles not to. And this goes back to the um, reason why he wrote the book, because there was rifts between the Jews and Gentiles in the church. So he was just, he just went back to why um, the Gentiles should not, you know, be proud, you know, and look down on the Jews. So basically that's what, um, you know, 11 is about. Beautiful. So and let me just let you in on it. It's a secret. We're going to actually do a commentary on Romans chapter 9. And it will require us to go into 10, 11, 12. And that's going to be the part two of today's teaching. Because I was praying yesterday. I was like, how am I going to cover all of these things? But then we're going to go into some difficult topics, especially 
in these books because there's no way you read Romans 9 to 12 and you did not scratch your head at some point. If you didn't, then <laughs> yeah, it's a pasta and you should not be on Bible Marathon right now. I'm joking. But yeah, we're going to, you know, get into it. But I want, yeah, let's do uh, chapter 12. So I think it was Ugo. Ugo, you have, you see, everybody has started talking. You have to talk. Okay. So um, what I got from Romans 12 was basically that um, it's, how you should live in response from the grace that you received. And he was also um, reiterating um, basically what he said in Romans 11, how um, they shouldn't think so highly of themselves, um, the Gentiles, because of the people who are cut off and things like that. Um, So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then just living how you should live in response um, to what you received, basically. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what chapter 12 was, just switching over from doctrinal teaching to instructions. So that's that's really what that is. And then you keep going on and you see more instructions going forward. So thank you, guys. You guys are amazing. And I think most of you are from Team Emerald, right? I don't know if I'm seeing... All right. I love you guys so much. All right. By the way, before we move on, I just want to say that if you're not in any accountability team or group, please reach out. The whole structure is for you. It's to make sure that you get into the study of the word. Sometimes it's very hard to read your Bible. I'm talking from experience. If you don't have a structure that makes you go back sometimes you wouldn't do it. So when you know that, ah, on Friday, I'm going to meet with some people. I must have read this. You know, there's something that helps you. So please look into that. If you have, if you don't have a group yet, reach out to me and we'll solve that problem. All right. I just want to pray and then we'll get into today's study. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here as brothers and sisters in Christ, joint heirs together with Christ. Thank you for all that we've received in you. We appreciate you and we bless your name. We ask, Lord, that this time would be a time of inspiration, a time of doctrinal teaching. The truth will be exalted over all lies and Christ will be glorified even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Today, as everyone knows, is Hermeneutics Sunday, and this is when we go into the accurate interpretation of the Bible. So like I told you when we started at the very beginning, um, by the way, is are we live on Mixlr? We don't have people there, right? Okay, maybe you could help um, me publicize on the group again, or maybe people are just interested in joining zoom directly all right let's go let's let's continue and um this day or this sunday in all these sundays is dedicated to interpreting scripture knowing how to interpret the bible and who can tell me the anchor text for hermeneutic sunday give away first person to answer second timothy 316 yeah second timothy 316 Yes, I give it away. I want to take this one. <laughs> and you said this is for what? Hermeneutic Sunday. Yes. 
<laughs> oh wait, 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 any of that answer? Any of that answer? I've st- I've put your own down. <laughs> any of that answer? Anybody else? Main, main theme scripture. Theme scripture for. I don't know. Give me the text. I don't give me the text. See, I, I say it. Sure, I self-approved. Where is it? Where is <laughs> it found? <laughs> Who said it? Who said it? I heard it. I heard it. Someone I think said it was Mo. Okay, Mo. Mo is our winner. I'm not sure, but I think it's Mo. Mo, Mo, reach out to me after Bible study. You have. Oh, well, I got it. He got it, but he did not say it. I said the text. She said it now. Okay, we'll move on, move on, move on, move on, move on, move on. Praise God. You are all blessed. If there's no giveaway, you are still reaching God. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's continue. So, yeah, like I said, the theme text is is um Second Timothy 2:15, which says, study or be diligent, you know to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I explained the last time we met that there is a way to rightly divide the word of truth. You don't just get the Bible and, you know, open any page and read. You are in trouble if you do that. You also cannot, you know, read something without understanding its pretext and context. It's so important that you approach the study of God's word accurately. And not only that, we ought to do something, and that is submit to the word. Can we say that together? Submit to the word. Yeah, I can hear you in my mind because you're all muted. But yes, submit to the word. What does that mean? It means you don't come to the word of God with ideas. I mean, everyone has an idea already, you know, of what you, you probably grew up in a Christian home. You've heard some things all your life, and you just think that's the truth. You know, some other people have read so many books here and there, and then they just like come to the Bible with those ideas. But what God wants us to do is to come to the scriptures and say, hey, what do the scriptures actually teach? And then let that correct your own mind. Let that change the way you think. There should be a transformation based on what you see. All right. And I put two words on the screen here. There are two things there exegesis and eisegesis, and I've explained what these are, right? I know I'm being technical here, but this is a good foundation for the topic we're doing, we're handing today, all right? Who can tell me what exegesis is and what is eisegesis? And if you are, in the, if you are here and you're like, what is NSA? Please, this is, safe, this is a safe space. Just type it in the chat. I don't know what I see, whatever you are saying. So I know I see, I don't know I see. I see Jesus. All right. Who wants to tell me? Okay, good. So Ugo says, exegesis is word interpretation. Isn't it word interpretation? That's, that would be hermeneutics. That's the bigger field, right? So you're, you're still on track. Okay, Victoria, thanks for your honesty. You guys are amazing. Now, you this because it will help a lot. Let me just go in. Let me just tell you what it is. All right. Ernest, is that giving me a canasa? Give away as past. Sorry. There's no giveaway. No <laughs> but stay stay connected. There's still moments for giveaway in, in the whole thing. So don't don't I'm don't here. sleep off at any point. All right. <laughs> okay. So exegesis, just like someone said, X means out. Out. Like it's to go out, exit, right? EX. Anytime you hear EX, it's like the prefix to something outside, external, right? But the meaning here is exegesis to get meaning out of the text 
All right. So you come to the text and you let the text explain itself. So good job at Bola and Tolu. Letting the scripture explain itself. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's in, impute. Isegesis, on the other hand, is imputing your own interpretation to the Bible. So you come with your own preconceived notions and ideas and you bring it in. So now you've got the meaning of that, right? If I ask you next time, you know it. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> Someone said, like, like my ex, I'll be <laughs> LOL. All right, let's go on. So why, why am I talking about this? We're, we're talking on a very, very important subject today. It's the subject of salvation. And everyone has an opinion on it, right? I don't know where you grew up, but there's so many views on the topic of salvation and so many questions. And what we want to do here, I'm not here to just establish my own doctrinal position, all right? I'm not here to force an idea on you. What I'm here to do is to go through the scriptures with you, show you what I see that the Bible is saying, and then let you come to an informed position where you can make an informed decision on what you would believe. Does that make sense? Is that fair? All right, let's do that together. And we'll do that by the help of the spirit. Okay. Uh, any, any questions so far? Okay. Nope. Okay, awesome. Welcome to anyone who's just joining us at this point. But yeah, I was going to give you an assignment, but I decided to push it forward. So we'll get there when we are um, doing our study of uh, Romans 13 to 16. All right, so let's go. First text, Romans chapter 1 from verse 16. I need someone to read this really loud and clear. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not Jesus anyways, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Beautiful. So I want to um, pick out some key things. Paul is saying, and we've read this already, he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So key thing there is gospel. There is a message. There is something he's teaching. I'm not ashamed of that thing I'm teaching. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Why, he's, why? why is Paul not ashamed of this message? He says, for it is the power of God, dunamis of God, the ability or the display of God that causes salvation. So it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes or believeth, he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, you know, I, I'm going to spend time teaching on the latter part later on. When he says to the Jew first and to the Greek, there's a there's a really clear understanding. I think Ayo pointed that out when she was explaining in Roman what Romans 11 was about. All right, but he says it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So what is what is salvation? What does it mean? I want us to come here with a, an open mind. Tabula rasa. Your mind is zero zilch nothing you've assume for a moment you've never heard the word salvation if i were to ask you what does it what does salvation mean how would you respond let me hear some thoughts what is salvation in fact let me break it down to the to the verb save right everyone knows save exactly so saving to be saved to be saved from something bad saved you're still using the same word saved can we use another word 
Rescue. Thank you. Someone is saying a gift, which is true. Salvation is a gift, but the meaning of the word, like remove any thought you've had. You've never been to church in your life. No, but you've never read the Bible and someone said saved. What comes to mind? Deliverance. Yes. Redemption. You're giving us theological English, but that's true too. To be redeemed. Okay. In a sense, yes. Helped, right. To be helped. You know, you were in trouble and someone saved you, right? To be free, rescue. So I'm seeing, good, you guys are following me. Good. Rescue, deliverance. So it has to do with you are in trouble. There is a situation and you are rescued from that situation, right? You are helped out of a situation. So we already know the meaning of the word in itself. The word is general. You see it so many times in scriptures. The Greek word is sozo. The noun is soteria, but the word is sozo, and that's what we're talking about today. It means to deliver, to save, to rescue. So the next thing we, we start to ask, it could be anything. I could save Abisola from being hit by a car. I just pull her away. I saved her, right? Or I might have saved my Word document so that I don't lose it. So you can see how the context can change. So the question we want to ask now is what did Paul have in mind when he said salvation to everyone who believes? So let's move on. The next thing we want to really answer, three major questions that I want us to answer together, all right? The first one is the question of who needs salvation, who needs to be saved? Some of these things might seem like repetition. You know these things, but please follow me. There's so much we have to discuss today, all right? First thing is, who needs salvation? What do you guys think? Us. Who is us? Who is we? <laughs> do dogs need salvation? Animals, plants, the whole world, people, sinners, the universe, mankind. I love these answers. You guys are amazing. Uh, the lost. Hmm. Except dogs. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh dear lord okay yes well so good answers everyone who needs salvation the question the answer is really the, re the, the real answer here is all of mankind all humans all right all humans um but before we go into that let me just read all the three questions we have we're, go we're going to discuss today the, fir the first question is who needs salvation because if you don't know who needs salvation then we don't have any premise here. Secondly, we also need to ha have an answer to the question, why? Why do we need saving? Are we really in trouble? Is there a problem? Do we need any deliverance from anything? Do we need any rescue from anything? Um, and that question Ugo is asking, it's a deep theological question. I, was, I heard two theologians debating about whether dogs and whether animals have souls and whether they would be in heaven and i was like what this is a deep conversation i didn't even think about it but yeah it's it's not for us amen dogs will be fine <laughs> dogs will be fine but yeah why salvation that's another question we need to ask right why is there really a need and then we'll go the one we'll spend time on today is what is salvation because a lot of questions how many of you were following the chat conversation on um, that day, the chat was was hot. Everybody was, you know, it was 
the questions of one saved always saved. You saw people were, you know, coming from the other angle. I had to send a video. We had conversations. Everyone was putting in their thoughts. And I was like, you know what? It's so beautiful that we are going to study today so that you would leave. I want you to leave this Bible study with a conviction. That's my job. I want to show you from scripture what the Bible has to say about salvation and then make a decision on what you, what you, what you want to hold on to. Right? So who needs salvation? We answered, right. All humans, but why do humans need salvation? Who can read Romans three? If you know what, let's, let's make today a, an open Bible day. So anyone with a Bible with, with them, just feel free to open your Bible and read once I quote the scripture so that we don't, we save, a lot of time. So Romans chapter 3 from verse 10. Can someone read Romans 3 from verse 10? Romans 3 verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Awesome. Can you read um, 22 and 23? Oh. Bless you. Thank you. 22 and 23. Thanks. (laughs) The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Awesome. You can pause there. So we're seeing Paul tell us, first of all, no one is good. No one is righteous. No one is perfect. And then we see him say the same thing here. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. In fact, that word, for, I was doing a deep study. I said, what does fall short of the glory of God mean? Because I was like, we say this a lot, right? For all I've seen, I've fallen short of the glory of God. What does fall short mean? I spent almost 30 minutes trying to figure out what this was. Because every translation said the exact same thing. So I'm like, something's up here. They kept saying, fall short, fall short, fall short, fall short. Hey, that's like a tongue twister. And I was like, what's up here? But the real meaning of fall short means to, to be deprived from something. And so it says, fall short of the glory of God. So everyone has been derived or deprived or taken away from the glory of God, which is something it tells us that we once, man once had the glory of God. And we can see that in Genesis, right? Man once had fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with God, but that was lost because of the fall of man. So everyone needs salvation. Jew, Gentile, old, young, male, female, everyone. And that's because of the second question. And this is a good thing um, that Olala said, you know, failing to meet up a standard. There is a standard to meet up that standard. That's why there's a need. And that's the next question. Why salvation? You know, three points that come to mind. Number one, the holiness of God. Now, this one is so important because a lot of people don't get why salvation is important. Let me give you a scenario here. We we, we love, we, we worship a perfectly holy God, but I want you, I want to paint a picture to you. Imagine I slapped a three-year-old child. Yeah, I know. That's abuse, right? I slapped the three-year-old child really hard. Boom. Now, the child might not really do anything, right? 
just cry. Okay, let's go a little bit higher. I slap a teenager. What, what am I expecting? A teenager is probably going to retaliate. Like, why did you slap me? What do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. Right? That's a possible response. I'm, I, am I going to get any issues? Am, am I going to get challenged? Except someone else saw what happened. I might get away with that, you know, maybe with a few bites or, or, or hits or whatever. Or yeah, they'll say, I hate you, right? Okay, let's, let's step it up a notch. So you slap, let's say I slap my father. What's happening? It's still the same slap, but I'm slapping my father right now. What do you think is going to happen to me? <laughs> you know, we, have, we all have different fathers or I've had different fathers. So that would look, it could look different for different people, but you can be sure that you are going to get something. <laughs> you are not going to go scot-free. All right. He'll beat you, right? Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the person slapping is my age. All right. Let's go ahead. What if I slap the police? You see, Ugo's mouth just keeps opening like, ah, what's happening? Like, <laughs> so I slapped the police officer. I'm not going to get away with that though, eh? I'm going to jail. The end, like Shaito said, thanks for coming. <laughs> that's the end. But you know, at this point, you feel like that's the end. But let me take it a step higher. What if I slap the president? The president of a country, let's say Joe Biden, I walk up to him and I give him a slap. The the every <laughs> secret forces, I'm dead. They'll break my bone right there before they even start thinking about any legal action to take. Now, what changed? It wasn't the slap. It probably is the same intensity. But what kept changing was the recipient of that slap. I gave that picture to help you understand that we're dealing with a holy God here. When you sin or you, you tell a small lie or you do something to someone else, you might think, oh, it's just that. But when you raise the category, when you, when you look at God as being higher than the highest president, higher than all things, you start to see that it's a different context. It's a whole different ball game altogether. So when you sin against a holy God, what do you think you deserve? Notice the repercussions changed, right? When I slapped a kid to when I slapped the president, same action, but different result. Now, what happens when you sin against a, an eternal God? What kind of punishment do you think that deserves? So a holy God will punish sin with the highest penalty possible. That's it. So if you don't have a high view of God, you're going to be wondering, you're going to be thinking you're not, you don't have a need for salvation. What have I done? I'm not as bad as the next guy I left to, to, to the side of me, right? You know, people start themselves with themselves. But God's holiness says something otherwise. Can you guys still hear me? All right. Yeah, so we need salvation because, first of all, God is a holy God. He's perfect. And guess what we need salvation from? This is not taught very common. It's not a common teaching. But guess what? The Bible does teach about it. We are being saved from the wrath of a holy God. A lot of people just think, um, like, we're just saved, you know, saved from the devil, which is true. 
But think about it. Who is punishing wrongdoings? It's a holy God who is 100% perfect. So that's why the Bible talks about the wrath of God being poured out upon all those in, in you know, Romans chapter 1 that was spoken about. You know, we've been saved from the wrath of God. God is holy. He's just. I, I think, think with me for a moment. A just judge is supposed to condemn a sinner. True or false? It's, it's right. Like, I mean, logically speaking, if somebody stole something from me, I expect the judge to incriminate that that person should be put in jail or should be made to return what they stole. So why, why do we not see that same standard with God, who is the judge of all? The Bible calls him judge over all things. All right. The second thing is the utter sinfulness and helplessness of man. We need salvation because in ourselves, we can't do anything to help ourselves. Utter dire need of help we need help we need salvation we need deliverance first of all from the results the consequences of our sins but ultimately from the punishment that comes to someone who has committed these crimes and you know what even makes it worse for us it's not just actions of sin it is the nature of sin when adam fell at the beginning The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that Adam fell, sin reigned, and death reigned because of sin. So all of us that were born in the lineage of of Adam all have death as our... We're all declared guilty and we're all bound to die. Like that is what we deserve because of what we did. What Adam did, and we are the seed of Adam, right? So that's a huge problem that we need salvation from, all right? The final thing is, I mean, as a result of the the fact that we don't have this relationship with God, we need salvation so that we can get that restored relationship with God, get back the glory of God, which we fell short of. So I hope it's clear so far. I'm just trying to paint a picture of why we need salvation. A lot of people, when they preach the gospel, they don't let people realize that, hey, you actually have a problem. If you don't know your problem, you don't know you need a solution. If you went to a doctor's office and you asked the doctor, hey, doctor, how are you doing today? And the doctor says, oh, I'm, I'm good. And guess what? Cure for cancer. You're going to be like, wow, that's bravo. You're like a very smart doctor. Congratulations. You're amazing. And that's all. What if the doctor told you? that we did a test and we found out you had cancer. All of a sudden, it's a different situation. And then the doctor says, guess what? I found the cure to cancer. At that moment, you find out that you have a need for that thing. And it becomes meaningful. So when you share the gospel with a sinner or someone, they need to have an understanding of the consequences of the wrongs they've done. Sin, the wages of sin is death. They will die. Not because not only because of the actions that they commit, because that's really why they will die, right? But because of the nature that they have, they are born in a sinful nature. All right, let's go ahead. Now we want to talk about what is salvation. Are we following so far, guys? Great. So what I did is I looked at all the different ways salvation was communicated in the scriptures. And I said, I'm going to break it down. 
and then we're going to think about it together. What really is salvation? So get ready to open your Bible, guys, because we're going to be reading a whole lot. So the first thing we see that the Bible defines or declares salvation to be is eternal life. Right? Eternal life. So salvation is eternal life. Can someone read to me John the 3 from verse 15 to 16? John 3, 15 to 16. Someone, real quick. Um, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Awesome. So you see that word, eternal life, everlasting life. It is the result of an act of believing in Christ. He says, but for, for God to love the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, meaning get destroyed or punished, but have, you could have said salvation, but he says eternal life. So we have an understanding that eternal life is the result of salvation. All right. Following. Can you read verse 36? Of that same John 3. Okay. He who believes in the Son has Mm -hmm. everlasting life. And Mm -hmm. he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So you see, he's saying life. Shall not see life. But he's alive already. So what is he talking about there? The same life. The same context of eternal life. Right? That's 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 interesting. Can someone read First John five eleven? First John five eleven. We're gonna go through a lot of scriptures because I want you to have a strong conviction about what it means to be saved. First John five eleven. Yep. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Hmm. He says, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. God has given us so if we're saved we have received eternal life i want to pause here and just ask you a question what does eternal mean endless life endless what else everlasting forever never ending so i mean pay attention to these things because i don't think god will be careless (laughs) to throw these words out all right so if we see eternal meaning forever never ending then it's it's it is i don't think it is i mean if if i said i love you eternally and then tomorrow i say i don't love you was that love truly eternal it wasn't if i say you have eternal life and then tomorrow i say you don't have eternal life was that life eternal to begin with no right let's just keep going on so that we get strong on this conviction john chapter 6 from verse 54 can someone read that <laughs> eternal money bookie john six fifty four. someone john six fifty four. whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will read- say sorry i was excited go ahead <laughs> I think my yeah. So I think my internet briefly cut up okay. a little bit again. Right. John chapter six verse fifty four. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Yeah, let me use this opportunity to explain what that is. This is not cannibalism. This is not Jesus saying, 
you eat my body and you drink my blood. He's talking about an, a, a partaking of what he came to give. That's the meaning of what he was saying. And you can see that when he goes on and talks about um, the one who feeds on, on me. Look at verse 57. Just as the living father has sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And he's using the allusion to how in the Old Testament they ate manna. And he calls himself, I am that manna. So when he says eat of me, it just means partake in what God gave as a gift. All right. So that's the um, metaphor being used there. I hope you get that. This is not cannibalism. Someone is going to approach you one day and say, you believe the Bible that's, that, that speaks about a man who said you should eat of his body. <laughs> you will meet people and you need to be able to explain all these things. So I thought it's a good opportunity to share that with you. So John chapter 10 from verse 28. I'll read this one myself. Listen, listen to Jesus. Ah, some of these things used to turn my head. Look at this one. He, uh, John 10, 26. Let me start from there. He says, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Look at verse 28, guys. It says, I give them eternal life. Again, or that phrase, eternal life and they shall never perish. So he gives them eternal life. He could have stopped there, but he says, this means that they will never perish. And then it's, no one can snatch them out of my hand. <laughs> That's crazy. Jesus is saying, hey, sheep, they know me. They hear my voice. They respond to me. So they hear my call and they receive me. And here's my commitment. I give them eternal life. So NF, sorry, NF, sorry for cutting this. Yeah. Um, please, um, I think there's something on the group, on the chat. That, yeah, I saw it. I, um, I, was, I saw it. I don't want to okay. lose my train of thought. I'll, I'll come back to it. Oh, sorry for that. No problem. Thanks. So he says, I will give them eternal life. Never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That's audacious. Giving a guarantee that, hey, whoever is in my hand, oh, no one can snatch them. And so you think about salvation in these terms, and it should, it should be super ultra clear to you that he's trying to establish something that has a, 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 the, the, the appearance of, not only the appearance, but the verity of permanence. All right? Let me quickly address that um, question. So, Okay, you missed my explanation. So like I, I was trying to explain when Jesus says, he who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, who, who, he who doesn't do that has no part in me. Remember, Jesus was very fond of using metaphors, you know, to explain spiritual concepts. For example, he said, I am the door. Jesus is not made of wood. He just means I am the access to God. I am the way to God. So when he says things like, eat of my flesh or drink of me. He's talking about feasting and being a part of his words, like everything that he stands for, being a part of that. And I give the example in the verse, what was that? Was that um, John 6, 54, right? Yeah, it says, he, I tell you the truth, 
from verse 53. I tell you the truth, unless you can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And Jesus was clearly, was not, he was not trying to be um, ambiguous about it. He said it that way. Like he meant, he almost meant it literally because he wanted them to get the point he was making. But follow the thoughts. He goes to verse 57 and says, just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one, notice the flow. I live because of the, the father sent me, I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So this is the idea of abiding, communion, being a part of. Then he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread. So he's saying, I am bread. Jesus is calling himself bread. He's not bread, obviously. We went to school. We know what that means. It just means that he's the source of satisfaction and nutrition. When you eat food, what happens when you eat bread? You are satisfied. So he says, only the people who are satisfied in me and get their quench and their satisfaction in, of their thirst in me, those are the ones that are in me. All right, that's, that's the, what he's trying to communicate. Hope that's clear. So the idea there is satisfaction, not literal, not cannibalism, not eating Jesus' body. And some people have even taken this verse to say, unless you partake of the communion, crackers and, and wine. That's ex- that is not the context here at all. <laughs> all right, so let's go on. Let me see if I missed anything else. Okay, good. I Okay, good, 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 good. Right, Bina. <laughs> Praise God. Let me just read another one. Uh, Titus chapter 1. I'll read this one real quick. I know you guys are wondering, like, Ernest, you used to put scriptures up. I feel like I'm making, I used to make a lot of you lazy, so I've stopped it. So I'll use my literal physical Bible. You two, you are using your own. Amen. So this is Titus chapter one from verse one. It says, Paul is servant of God and of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect. And we're going to talk about election um, next hermeneutic Sunday because there are a lot of things that I want to just address. A lot of people have weird ideas of what it means to be elect. Um, let's continue. It says, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Verse two, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie. When Paul is writing, he just wants to verify beyond a shadow of doubt that, hey, this is real. Eternal life given by God, who does not lie. It was promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light. Yeah, so I have more scriptures here, but I think it's established at this point that salvation is eternal life. All right. Any questions on this one? Beautiful. Let's go on. I mean, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's another verse that came to mind. The second one here is salvation means justified or justification. Who can tell me what justification means? Anybody? Um, called not guilty. I love that. Called not guilty. Called not guilty. Does anyone want to elaborate on that? Because I know there are many words in the Bible that just trip people off. 
you see justification, you see righteousness, you see sanctification, you see propitiation, you, all this big, big grammar. You're like, what is going on here? Which is which? So to be declared innocent. Thank you, Victoria. So just the word justified or justification, it's actually a judicial term. It's a legal term where a judge declares you to be without wrongdoing. So imagine evidence was brought to the court. You came there as a convicted, not con how do they say those things? You guys that watch all these law shows, you come in as a, what? What do you come in as? Defendant or something. Offender. You're not yet an offender. Like you are innocent until proven guilty, right? He's a defendant. So, defendant, right. So you come in and then what happens? You have to face the court. The court, they're going to look at the evidence. They will have the jury, you know, all of them. They will now, after everything, after they've done everything, they will now conclude. The judge will now conclude and say, based on the evidence and this, 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 I declare you either what, guilty or not guilty. Guess what? This is a thought some people don't have. Do you know that if the judge declares somebody not guilty, but they actually committed a crime, do you realize that they are still not guilty? Who gets what I'm saying? If a judge looks at the evidence and says, okay, I'm not convinced that this person committed the crime. And they say, you're not guilty. Do you know that they will go scot-free? Because the judge has given the declaration. So the point I'm trying to make is that justification is the declaration of guiltlessness. It's not really about what the person did or did not do. Who gets what I'm saying? And so God can exactly, Dame Lally said, and they, can, they can't be charged again for it. Because at that point, the gavel has been hit. That's the end. That is the judgment given. Now, we know God is just. So God cannot give a false judgment. So he calls us guiltless. He, he justifies us. How can God justify a guilty person? Who gets the question I'm asking? God is perfect. He's a judge. He doesn't miss anything. In fact, if you did something in secret, God sees it, right? Now you're brought to the courtroom. Everything, God says, go, you are guiltless. That, that seems to be a problem already. Like, if, can God justify the guilty? <laughs> so who can this? How can God be just? In calling us just. How can God be just in calling us justified? Like he's setting us free, even though we did wrong things. I mean, this is a simple question. Omit yourself. I want to hear. Because someone has paid like she said. Beautiful. Right. So 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 guess what? God is just. For justifying. Why? Because somebody paid the fine. In fact, let me paint this picture clearly. This is why you need to rightly divide. You know, Job said something. Okay, now I'm going to show you scripture because I'm, I'm a nice guy. You know I'm a nice guy, right? Okay, Job 25 verse 4. Can someone read what is on the screen? This was Job's question. 
How then can man be justified with God? Mm-hmm. So Job is asking. You know, this was Job's monologue. <laughs> he was going through a lot of things. And he was like, how can man be justified with God? Like, how can man be justified with God? That's a, that's a, a legit question, right? Or how can he be clean? That is born of a woman. Because Job understood that anyone who is born is born in guilt. Right? Look at, look at um, David's cry in Psalm. Psalm 143, uh, I think verse 2. He said, he was begging. <laughs> he said, hear my prayer. That was verse 1. Hear my prayer, Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Verse 2 says, and enter not into judgment with thy servant. He's calling himself a servant. Like, don't judge me. You know? Because if God were to judge him by his work or more, what's it done? That's the end, right? But he said, for in thy sight. So he's saying this, listen to what they In your sight shall no man living be justified. Meaning no one that is living on the earth right now can be justified. No one can be declared not guilty in your sight because everyone has fallen, right? Everyone has sinned. But... We come to Romans, and Paul is telling us the opposite. So something has changed. Romans chapter 3 from verse 24. He says, being justified freely by his grace. We are justified freely? But we know it. You guys have answered the question because you are super sharp. Why? Because the answer is in the following part of the verse. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Meaning... Here's what you need to understand. You committed a crime. Someone paid for that crime you committed. So if the judge were to give a judgment or a judgment call and someone has paid the fine, he cannot charge you for that crime because the, the, the price has been paid. Let me paint the picture like this. You go to the court, and I always use the courtroom because these are legal terms. You get into the courtroom, and every, all the evidence right now is saying you are guilty. Everything makes is clear that you are guilty. But then someone steps up, and this is actually, I, I checked this out. This is something someone can actually do. Do you know that someone can serve your, your term in prison for you? I mean, there, there are technicalities to it, but someone else can take your place and that means that that punishment has been served. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus saw that you were guilty. You had a fine to pay and he paid it in your stead. What were you supposed to get? The wages of sin. That means the payment, the result of your sin is death. So it means that the punishment for the substitutes had to be death. And that's why Jesus died. And so because he died, you don't have to die. Does that make sense? And, and exactly, Ayo, this is the best time to read Romans because this the, the book of Romans is a book on salvation. So I think I've explained justification enough, but let me just say, say, say this just so you can have it on the record. The justified person is not without personal sins, but he is still viewed and treated as righteous by God. And God can do this justly because of the gift of Christ's righteousness by imputation. So 
Jesus Christ takes your place, your punishment. And because Jesus is, is not a sinful man, Jesus is perfection. He can impute his own righteousness to your account. And so when God sees you, he sees you as guiltless, faultless, irreprovable, blameless because of what Christ did. That's the gospel. That's so beautiful. That is salvation. And that is what Paul is teaching here. All right. Are we following so far? So you, you, you hear verse, uh, verses like Second um, Corinthians 5.21. For he, uh, it, 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 it made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we became righteous because someone else took our place. You know, and this verse that a lot of people want to use, First uh, Corinthians chapter six, and I want to bring it up now because a lot of people do this, and that's why you need to read context. Can someone read First Corinthians six, verse ten? The blood is still the blood. That's a good song. I haven't heard it, but it already sounds like a good song. First Corinthians 6, verse 10 says, yes. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor believers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so you stop there. A lot of people will come and say, Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminates. This is true. If, if you are identified as any of these categories of people, guess what? You cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's a, that's a statement of fact. Guess what? We've all sinned. But look at verse 11. Read verse 11. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Pause. He says, he says, he says, and such were some of you. So that's Paul's understanding. He says, that's what you were. That's what you were tagged as. That was your identity. But now you've been washed. You've been sanctified. And look at the that we just explained, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of the Lord. So now, when someone were to ask you, what's your identity? You cannot call yourself a fornicator. Guess what? You cannot even call yourself a homosexual. I just stepped on a very, very important topic there. You cannot identify with what you practiced in your old way of life. Because you've been washed. And then second Peter, Peter comes in and he says, hey, if you, if you lack these things, you are, you are blind. And you've forgotten that you've been washed of your past sins. Uh, we'll get there shortly. But that's, that's, I just wanted to make that point clear. All right. We've been justified. What else again? Let's talk about this salvation. What else again? Salvation is new birth. Salvation is new birth. And I'm, you know, I'm giving all these different words because I want to see the, the, the intentionality in God's communication to us. He could have just said you are saved and never use any other word to explain it. But he uses terminologies that almost make us see, number one, the efficacy, number two, the permanency, and number three, the commitment of God. So let's look at new birth. Salvation is new birth. All right. John chapter three. Oh, I'm preaching good. I'm enjoying myself. Honestly, I'm, I'm learning as I'm even teaching you guys. All right. So let's go. John chapter three. Who's there? John chapter three. 
from verse 3. This is the story of Nicodemus. Who's going to launch us out? Jesus answered. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Don't talk about <laughs> There's plenty to read. Anybody that starts, the next person. Jesus answered and said to him, mm. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, mm. he cannot see the kingdom of God. Pause, pause. Mm-hmm. Pause, sorry. How many of you have heard the term born again? Everybody, right? I think we've heard it too much that we've missed the meaning. Continue reading so you see what Nicodemus heard when Jesus said born again. And let me know if that's what you hear when you hear the word. Go on. Uh, is it Tolo or Bolala is reading? Nicodemus said to him, mm-hmm. how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, 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 the, see the question in his mind. Nicodemus is like, wait, how is this man saying I should be born again? So I'm thinking, I am maybe a 65-year-old man. He's probably old, Nicodemus. He's like, how can I be born again? Like, you're telling me to be born again. First of all, number one, I had no, I, I had no responsibility in being born, right? <laughs> it's not like Chijoke said, ah, yeah, it's time. I need to be born now. Yeah, mommy push. You didn't have any responsibility there. That's what he's describing being born again as. Something that happened by the outside of you by a greater force. That's God. All right. So let's continue. Let's continue now. So keep reading. Jesus, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Beautiful. Can you pause? Sorry. This is another moment, a teachable moment here. And I, I try not to miss all these um, opportunities because you know, I mean this is not a church so we should be able to go down and ask questions you know break it down more and more when he says born of water and of spirit what does that mean so people have taught it to mean water baptism but you cannot be water baptism is not being born of water right so logically speaking Jesus must be meaning something different there. Because when he talks about salvation in, in um, John 7, he says, if any man thirsts, let him come and drink. And out of his bellies will flow rivers of living water. So he uses the same allusion to water. But he, the, uh, John now explained and said, this speak he of the spirit he had been given. So water is almost equated to the spirit many times in scripture. And so when Jesus is communicating here, notice he never used the word water again in the whole of John chapter three. That tells us something that he was alluding to the spirit. And there's a rule there. There's something called the TSKS rule. There are many times it's used in the scriptures where you have two words uh, separated by the word and, which is kai in the Greek. And when you see that many times that word and actually means which is, or that is, or explains um, so when he says, um, unless you're born of water and of spirit, and I think um, Shaitan answered that beautifully. So water, which is the spirit. So the main thing that was in his mind is spiritual birth. All right. So is that all? Did you finish reading? 
Oh, there's a question. Why does John say that in Matthew 3, 11? John, I think you mean why did Matthew, right? Let me check what you're looking for, 3, 11. Okay. This is talking about... Where are we? Sorry. You're asking about Matthew 3, 11? It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that is coming after me is, um, is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So here we're seeing two baptisms. There is water baptism, which is different from the Holy Ghost baptism. One baptism is by John for the Jews. The other baptism is by Jesus for those who are born again. So that's, that's a baptism. So I, this is not what Jesus was referring to in any way, if maybe that's the question. This is unrelated to what Jesus was saying in John 3. Water baptism was, there's so much of a context to it. It's a Jewish thing. We'll have time. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about that later on, okay? Um, okay, where are we? Yeah, I think Bola and Tolu have helped so well in reading that text. I don't know if we finished to verse 5. No, we stopped at verse 4, um, right? Yeah. Okay, read up to verse 5. Happy? No, okay, we read verse 5. Oh. Okay, okay. Yeah. right, exactly. It says, um, unless he's born of water, which is the spirit. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. So he's comparing two kinds of birth. Human birth and spirit birth. So salvation is spiritual birth. It's a second birth. This is the one you first came into the world as. You came born of a woman in the earth as a human, right? But then there's a second birth that identifies you as being a part of the body of Christ. Look at, I think it's still John. John chapter 1. Just go a few chapters before. John chapter 1 from verse 13. Read from verse 12. Who's reading from verse 12? John 1, 12. But to all okay, who did um, receive him, John... who believed in his name, uh -huh. he gave the right to become children of God, who were okay. born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So notice, he says, all who received him. So you believe a message, you received Jesus. What happens? You receive sonship, you become what a child of God, which is another definition of the word salvation. Salvation equals sonship, being a part of the body and the family of God. But look at what he says. He describes this birth in verse 13. He says, children born not of natural descent. So he's saying, hey, we're not talking about natural birth. He says, nor of human decision. It was not because two people came together and said, oh, I'm going to we want to have a child now. He says, but of God. So your salvation means new birth. So just think about the fact that he's communicating new birth as being equal with salvation. So if you cannot be born again, again, like you cannot go into your mother's womb, then that's the impossibility that it would, that's how difficult or impossible it would be for you to 
be born again, again, if that makes sense. Like if you are born once, you cannot be born another time. Does that make sense? That talks about the permanency of this thing. Um, and to answer most question, rededicating your life to God is wrong, right? Because you cannot never lose your salvation. I mean, that statement already should have been answered by what I explained. There are two births, natural birth and spiritual birth. If you haven't been born spiritually, you ought to be born spiritually. Once you are born spiritually, when I say born spiritually, I mean born, born of the spirit, born a second time, born from above, born of God. They're all synonyms. That's salvation. Once you believe the gospel, the Bible calls you a child of God. You've been born again. You see, that's why I said that this word has been used so much that we've lost the meaning. You've been born again. So you cannot be born again and again because after spiritual, uh, spiritual birth, there's no other birth. <laughs> so someone might go out and have all the emotional goosebumps of rededicating their lives, but they never had a life to rededicate to begin with. Like, do you, do you get what I mean, right? So these are coming because of the traditions of men. People just feel like this might work better. So they bring those ideas. Like if you want to rededicate your life to God, and it's almost like me saying, Chijoke, if you want to be a son of your father again, ah, Chijoke, you already have his blood. You're already born of your father. So what else do we have to do again? You know, the Bible is super clear about this. When you become a child of God, like First uh, John says, now are we, the, let me read that to you. Where's everybody? Oh, are you guys sleeping? Yeah, yeah. We are okay. here. All right, cool, cool. Look at verse verse one. First John, I'm still showing something on my screen. Sorry. First John five one. It says, "Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is what born of God." Finito. <laughs> so it tells you how. So what do we know about salvation? So far, we've seen that salvation is justification or being justified. We've seen that salvation is, um, ah, have I forgotten my notes already? What else? You guys remind me. That was First John 5, 1 that I just read. So salvation, eternal, I talk, life. eternal life. I talked about justification. justification. I've talked about new birth. Let's now talk new about birth. new citizenship. That's another term that uh, the Bible uses to describe this salvation. It says you are a citizen of heaven. So, I mean, this is not a visa. This is not, it's not talking about visa. Like, oh, you've got a visa. Now you can come to heaven. And when the visa expires, you no longer have access to heaven again. No, this is passport. Your passport. How many people need visa to go to Nigeria here? I mean, if you're a Nigerian, how many of you need a visa to go to Nigeria? So if the Bible says you are a citizen of a country, it means you don't need anything extra to access that place. You are a part. All you had to do was to be born into that country or to be naturalized. And those are just examples of what happened when you believed the gospel. You got a new life, a new citizen. You know these movies where I, I, I remember watching, is it Breaking Bad? I was watching a show, Breaking Bad. I think that's one of the best shows um, ever in, on TV. 
so brilliant. There's a part of that show where um, um, the main character wanted to change his identity because he had gone so far into like, you know, dealing in, in like meth, there's a meth business and there's a whole, I don't want to tell you the whole story here, but he wanted to change his identity. And so he went to his fake lawyer and the lawyer was like, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy and he can just give you a new passport and you're automatically a citizen of this new state or country, you know? Citizenship. Look at what the Bible says, Philippians, Philippians chapter three. These are, these are terms to define or explain your salvation. Philippians 3.20, I'm going to read it because of time. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Wow, who is our? This is Philippians. Who are the Philippians? He was writing in chapter one. It says to all the saints in Jesus Christ at Philippi. Obviously that extends to us because we are all saints when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, right? So he says, ye are citizens of heaven. And we, look at the next part, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So we are there. The Bible calls us, citizens and he says we are waiting for christ from there <laughs> that's just an amazing mindset to have and then look at first peter 2 9 you guys know this verse already right first peter chapter 2 from verse 9 oh glory 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 if you're there before me please read it first peter chapter 2 from verse 9 very popular verse i'm here i'll read it it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, nation. So you are, you are recognized as being a citizen of a nation. You are a holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the presence of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you, you might be wondering, NS, are you done? There's more. In fact, in this same concept of citizenship, look at some things the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 6. It says, and God raised us up with Christ. So when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the Bible says we're raised together with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. That's powerful. So we're not only citizens, we are seated <laughs> of rest in Christ. That's powerful. That's super, super powerful. Let's go on real quick. We're almost done, but there's a lot. I just put some that I thought, you know what? These are the most popular ones. We're also called members of Christ's body. Now, notice a trend. It's like God, it's like God intentionally went out of his way to use analogies of permanence who is getting my drift i just want you to this is a biblical this is this is this is bible study that's what we're doing we're looking and we're saying what does this really mean and we don't want to have our own disposition 
or our own ideas. We want to say, let's let the Bible talk to us first. And then we will, by the way, if you're wondering, okay, Ernest, this cannot be all the scriptures in the Bible. There are other verses. And there are actually some verses that might seem to pose a problem. But when you rightly divide, you just look at it and say, ah, are you serious? A verse that you thought meant that you can lose your salvation as quickly as you can lose, um, what do people lose? The way you can just remove your wig you know, and just drop it. People think that that's how easy it is to lose salvation. Whereas there are verses upon verses upon verses where God is trying to say, hey, I'm committed to keeping this thing. Even if you are unfaithful, I remain faithful. Like God is going the extra mile. <laughs> and you, you are saying, I'm, I need to find a verse that tells me I want to break out <laughs> or break bad. <laughs> I'm going back to that show again. But, you know, there are verses and we will, discuss those verses when we do the second part of this study because it's important that we know what those verses are saying and how we ought to respond but here it says salvation means we've been brought into the body of christ we are members of the body of christ so verses like first corinthians chapter 12 from verse 27 i'm going to just show these verses on the screen so that you can note them if you are taking notes first corinthians 12 27 Look at this. It says, now ye are the body, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That's profound, right? You are the body of Christ and members in particular. Question, how many of you have a part of your body that you can just remove? I'm not talking about those nails that you fix. So like, I know Abisola just fixed her nails. She's been showing it everywhere, you know. My nails... <laughs> she has done that video. See, she's showing you guys. <laughs> but I'm not talking about nails that you can remove temporarily or wig. I'm member of Christ's body. Jesus doesn't have, doesn't use nails. Jesus doesn't um, <laughs> appendix. You guys should calm down, I beg. But yeah, so think about this. Do I, how many parts of your body are detachable? Let me see your hands. I know your videos are off. And even the hair that you are saying when you barb it, how many people cut their hair? A lot of ladies don't cut their hair at all, you know, because they, they, are, they are doing all these um, three months, five years. I kept my hair, all this stuff. The thing is, even when you cut it off, ah, you see, it's like iron is in my head. It's a grow back. It's like, it's just nature has a way communicating spiritual truths maybe you don't know that's why paul always appeals to nature but let's go on let me not go into that um that that's a that's a rabbit hole right there okay uh, romans 12 5 it says so we being many are one body in christ and one member and everyone members one of another so we are part of a body that's so important i, I hope you are seeing how this plays into how we ought to think. Like this is the, this, most of these scriptures, notice they've been scriptures by the apostles because this, these are the teachings for us. They are the teachings for believers, for Gentiles. The gospel came to us eventually because God, you know, had a bigger plan, not just to save the Jews, but to extend that salvation to the Gentiles. And we've been grafted in. So we need to embrace how God has said we will be saved and what God calls our own salvation. Now, the salvation that the Jews understood 
it's slightly different. And that's why I said we're going to have a separate topic. We'll go deep into like some di- some differences in how God, you know, d- deals with the Jews with regards to salvation. Because, you know, and, and I just want to bring this up here. God is not done with the Jews, right? The Bible is clear. The Jews, there's still a part in in the end of end of days where God will still deal with the Jews, all right? And, um, you know, people who are quick to say things like, you can't lose your salvation. Um, while from what I'm teaching, you can see clearly that I'm actually trying to emphasize the fact that, hey, it is, it is almost impossible. But then you look at the, the book of Revelation and you see, you know, examples of people who do certain things and somehow they've lost it. For example, if someone were to take the mark of the beast, whatever it is, they will lose something. Like it's clear in the scripture, their name will be blotted out of the book of life. So what does that look like? I mean, I want to carry all of scripture together. But like I said, let's leave that for the next teaching. And I'll go into detail on that. But as far as I'm concerned, for you, everyone listening to me that is a Gentile, embrace what the word of God says about the nature of your salvation. It is almost super permanent. Like it's like super glue. God has said, no one can pluck you out of his hands. He has given you eternal life, not life till the next subscription. It is justification, not based on your works, but on God's declaration of you being righteous. It is you being a part of the body of Christ, which Jesus doesn't cut off his hand (laughs) or cut off his neck. It's that depicting a permanency. The one that blew my mind the most was the next point I have here, which is, Spiritual circumcision. Do you know we are called the circumcision? Philippians chapter 3 from verse 3 says we are the circumcision. But what do you know about circumcision? How many of you know what circumcision is? It's basically a practice in the Jewish, uh, in, in, in the olden days with, with the Jews, where they would cut the foreskin. So the word itself should give you an idea. Circum means round. Circum, like circumference, circle. And then scission means to cut, incision, cut. So cut around, and, you know, and that would lead to spilling of blood. That would also, that was a symbol that God, you know, to, to, to um, ratify the covenant between God and the people of Israel to say, you, are, you belong to me. Now, when you cut off the foreskin, you cannot change your mind and put it back permanent thing you don't you can't be uncircumcised you cannot circum be circumcised and then be uncircumcised again there's a lot of <laughs> pictorial reference to the permanence of this look at colossians chapter 2 colossians chapter 2 from verse 10 it says and you have been given fullness in christ who is the head over all power and authority look at verse 11 in him you were also circumcised. He's talking to Colossians, the people in Colossae. These are Gentiles. These are not Jews. So he's not talking about a physical circumcision. He says, in him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. That's what God did. God in salvation cut off the nature. That that person who was once called a fornicator, a liar, a drunkard, that part was cut off. Cut off. 
And he says, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but by the what? Circumcision done by Christ, by his spirit. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised, you know, you can read that whole thing. It's beautiful. But it's a spiritual circumcision that we have experienced. This, that was Colossians chapter 2 from verse 10 to verse 14. You can read the whole thing and you get the picture there. Uh, Colossians 2, 10 to 14. And then, you know, let me read Romans real quick because we are already out of time. Oh, glory to God. So, I mean, you should, you should be able to boast in Christ. Christ has said he's committed to keeping you. Christ has given you this gift. He gave it willingly and he says, hey, all you have to do is receive this gift and here are all the things that you get. Eternal life. You are, you are circumcised with, by the Spirit. You know, Romans chapter 2 from verse 28. It says, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew. And what he means here is chosen. All right. Not necessarily like Jew. It says, if he is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the law. All right. Just wanted to put that out there. One more thing. Salvation is what? Sealed with the spirit. <laughs> Think about this. Like the, perm- the idea of permanence should blow your mind. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 21. Let me just put this up here. Second Corinthians 1, 21. It says, now he which established us, that's talking about God's establishment of you. So God is working. He's not inactive in the work of salvation. Very active. He establishes you in Christ. He says he has anointed you. And the word anointed there means to be given the spirit. You know, but look at verse 22. It says, who hath also sealed us, sealed. That word is sealed. I went to check the Greek and I was like, oh, more. <laughs> this is really sealed. This is not like just seal. This is seal, like permanent seal. He says he has sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit is a seal for the believer. That's amazing. So we're sealed with the spirit. You know, the same thing is said in Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one. From verse 13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So you heard the message, the word of truth, and you trusted. That's the response. Hello? And we're coming there. How does a person get saved? It's by responding this way. It's not just by saying a statement. It's about the heart believing and trusting and holding on to that message that you've heard. All right. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, don't grieve that Holy Spirit you received. But he tells you something about this. Because some people will tell you when you grieve the Holy Spirit, it can just leave you like um, how smoke used to leave the room. When you open the window and, you know, you have finished cooking stew. No, the Holy Spirit is not going to just diffuse out of your life. He said, grieve him because he's there to stay. You are sealed until the day of redemption. Are you hearing this? It's a stamp of approval, a stamp of ownership. God is saying, you are mine. And this seal is proof that I'm coming back for you. End of, end of story. That's what salvation looks like, guys. 
And then the final thing here that I'll end with today because of time is it's God's work and his oath. You know, I don't know if there's any Igbo person listening to me, but there's this Igbo statement that some people say, um, Madu Abuchi, I don't know if I pronounced it, said it well. Madu God, man is not God. Man is not like God. When God says a thing, he does it. When he says he will perform something, you can be sure of it. He's not a man that would lie and change. Like, you know, I can say I like you today and I'll tell you I don't like you tomorrow. God is not like that. In fact, God, to show you his promise, the Bible says he swore an oath. How many of you have read that verse in um, Hebrews chapter 6? God swore an oath on his own name to prove that he will not leave us. Like, that's why we have an anchor for our souls. Uh, there's no time, but there's a lot of verses. So what I'll do is, let me see if I can copy them. I can't. I'll just read them real quick, all right? If you want to take it down, if anyone can take them down. But these are verses to prove God's commitment to you in salvation, all right? Number one, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 18 to 21. Someone can even help me in the chat. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21. 2 Timothy 2, 10 to 13. That one talks about God being faithful. Hebrews 6, 16 to 19. Hebrews 6, 16 to 19. God swore an oath that he would do what he said. God doesn't have to swear on anyone. And he looked up. There's no one to swear. So he swore by himself. That's actually what the writer of Hebrews said. Philippians chapter 1 from verse 6. I know this is plenty, but I just want to arm you with enough scriptures. Once you have this in your mind, you're good. Philippians 1, 6. That, that's where he says he will finish the work he started. He that started a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. All right. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Um, John 10, 28 to 30. We read this earlier. Those who are in my hand cannot be snatched out. I will keep them. I will keep them. That's John 8, uh, John 10, 28 to 30. And the final one that should keep you excited for the rest of your life, Jude 1, 24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. So God is committed. The way you two, you are like, ah, I really want to be saved. I want to make heaven. The way you are fighting and shouting, I want to make heaven. God is like, I'm doing the work. <laughs> I'm the one who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm committed to doing the work. All I need you to do is not to start trying to gain my acceptance by what you do. No, it's by believing the message of the gospel. It's by saying, yes, that's how to be saved. You believe and you confess. Faith, trusting in Christ, all right? And then confession, which means the corresponding action. It must first be heart believing. It's not that you heard a message that God wants you to be rich. And you say, ah, yeah, God wants me to be rich. I received Jesus. You didn't hear the gospel. You did not believe the right thing. And that's what we're going to talk about um, in our next hermeneutics Sunday. There's a lot we still need to talk about in the subject of salvation. All right. But we're going to stop here for today because we're already out of time. All right. Ah, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just, I just want you to just begin to thank God right now. 
with all the things you've heard, just reiterate it. Lord, I thank you because you've given me new birth. I did not deserve it, but you declared me righteous. You declared me just. You've given me a new citizenship. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I have eternal life. It's not because of anything I did, but I trusted in Christ. And this is all that I receive because of my trust. Thank you, Lord, because it's not by works. It's by grace through faith. And I don't have anything to boast in except that you are true to your word. And Lord, we thank you because everyone that has heard this, and even for those who have not put their faith in Christ, that these words stir them up, that the goodness of God leads them to repentance today, and they turn from their belief system to trust the living God and put their faith in the one who has done it all for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.